it's keeping God in the forefront of our minds if we do it at least once a week. I, th- I think we should meditate on God every day. We should set aside some sort of a devotional time every day. But for sure, once a week, that keeps God at the forefront of what he's doing for us in our lives and also at the forefront, again, of where we're headed ultimately. Hello and welcome. We are Reasoning Through the Bible. My name's Glenn and this is Steve. And today we're in Exodus chapter 16. And we're in the place where God is giving instructions about the manna, that the bread from heaven that he raised. And so, Steve, we're seeing a very interesting thing here is this manna from heaven. And last time we had gotten part of the way through explaining it. But today, hopefully, we'll get the rest of the way because this is a very very interesting type or or foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a very rich section that we're in today. Yeah, and, and once again, we talked about the ways that God is providing for the people and, and the, 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 he's asking them to trust him. Same thing with us in our day and age. We need to have the trust in Jesus Christ that he's going to be able to provide for us. And as we saw last time, the manna was going to be coming to them in the wilderness they had they had no food and had been complaining and grumbling and blaming moses when moses was just doing what the lord had said and there had been a a a long series of reasons why the people of israel should have been trusting of the lord to because he had done so much for them and yet here they were grumbling again and he says okay by by nightfall you're going to have meat to eat, and by morning there's going to be raining bread from heaven. And so this is in the middle of nowhere. How could this happen? So the, the manna from heaven, and then there were quail that came. And so we'll see more about that today. Uh, but a little bit, Steve, of just a bit of review. The manna would come in the morning. Yes. And it would uh, only last for a little while. You had to get up and go gather it. Each person had to get their own. Right. And the person that gathered a lot or the person that gathered a little, they would have enough. And it couldn't keep it till tomorrow because it would spoil, except for the sixth day when it would last. There'd be twice as much and it would last until the next day. Correct. And so this, of course, is a spiritual application, and we're going to see a little bit more of that as we go through. So let's go ahead and read the rest of the chapter, starting in in Exodus chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, you might want to open there. And chapter 16, starting at verse 22 and going to the end of the chapter. Steve, could you read that? Now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was it there any worm in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. 
It came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place, let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omerful be of it kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omerful of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is a tenth of an ephah. So with this, we have the rest of the instructions and how the people of Israel reacted to the manna that would show up in the morning. And it tells us here, of course, that the Lord gave the Sabbath. And again, this is before Moses gets the official law, the Levitical law, law of Moses on Mount Sinai that's coming up in a few chapters. So this tells us that Sabbath keeping was even way back before the commands. Once we get to the Mosaic law, there's going to be a series of very specific, very severe commands about Sabbath keeping. So this just tells us once again that that God is serious about Sabbath keeping. And so a little bit of a question, are we required today to keep the Sabbath the same as what was back here in the Old Testament? So no, I mean, I mean, not in general in regards to the law, because uh, we're not under the law anymore. We're under the grace of, of God and what Jesus Christ has done for us through his sacrifice and his work on the cross, and as well as his death, burial, and resurrection, and through his blood. So from that standpoint, no. But just like this is at a point in time before the law was given, I don't think we should be legalistic about it in regards to all the rules and regulations that you referenced in our last session that were put on the people. That becomes burdensome. But I do believe that we should observe a day of rest, but it should be a day of rest in honor of God and to acknowledge that he is the creator and that he has created everything. I believe that that's the reason why that he's wanting people to observe a Sabbath, a day of rest, so to speak. And the word Sabbath just means seventh, seventh. And so every seventh day, there was supposed to be a a day of rest. And so it it reinforces the need. But I I was with you, Steve. The Old Testament law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's not that we just ignore it. It's that Jesus tells us he fulfilled this law, and he actually took in the Sermon on the Mount and raised the requirements to higher than, than what the law was in the sense that, that the standard of God is, is greater than, than the legalistic ones way back here in the Old Testament. But again, Sabbath just means seventh. And so we would say, and I, I would presume you'd agree, that it's a good idea 
to take a, a Sabbath day, but not a legalistic requirement in the sense that it would build righteousness before God by keeping the Sabbath day, right? Wouldn't you agree? That's correct. Like I said, it's, it's a day of rest really for us, but it's also an acknowledgement of God. So how important is it in today in the church age to take a day of rest and meditate on God? How important, without getting legalistic about it, that, that's where people, I think, get all, get all caught up in problems is we, we start going around trying to make rules for other people, right? But how important is it if we just look to ourselves, how important is it for me and, and each one of us to take a day where we, we rest from all our other activities and then focus on meditating on, on God and, and what God's done for us? Well, How think, important is that? I think it's real important because what it does is it 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 provides on a weekly basis that we, as you say, meditate on God. What does that mean? What He's done in general? What He's done for us? What does His Scripture say? What applications can we make to that? I think it's really important because you're doing it every week. Again, not in a legalistic way. If you miss one here or there, it's, it's not. Uh, you know, something to fret about, but it's keeping God in the forefront of our minds if we do it at least once a week. I, th I think we should meditate on God every day. We should set aside some sort of a devotional time every day, but for sure, once a week, that keeps God at the forefront of what he's doing for us in our lives and also at the forefront, again, of where we're headed ultimately. So what would happen to us physically if we never took a day of rest? What would happen to us physically if we were just constantly going all the time and, and never rested our bodies? It's called burnout. You just, you just literally just burn out. You get tired of doing what you're doing. You get frustrated with what you're doing and, and your performance of whatever it might be goes downhill and you wanna to move to something else and sometimes you just don't wanna do anything at all. So if we don't rest our bodies, we get physically weak, physically sick, we're not effective at our work. So what happens if we don't rest our spirit? If we don't rest our soul? I submit same problems. Just like with our body, if we don't rest our body, then we get physically sick, physically weak. If we don't take time to rest our soul and our spirit, then we'll get spiritually weak and spiritually sick. And that's what happens if you don't take a Sabbath, or don't take some time specifically dedicated to focus on God. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, absolutely. Meditation, again, is a, not from a metaphysical or a New Age perspective. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just thinking about and, and uh, rolling in our mind the different things that God has done. That's what we mean by the meditation. Right. Biblical meditation is, and it mentions the word several times in the Bible, meditate on these things. Right. So we're put a, biblical meditation is to put our mind in gear and think about spiritual things. Uh, there, there's sort of a New Age, sort of Eastern meditation that, that wants you to blank your mind and turn inward. And go into a trance. That's right. not what we're talking Th about. That we would reject. Never blank your mind and turn inward. You'll just find a pile of garbage down in there. <laughs> but if you meditate on these things, you'll find beauty and, and wonderfulness in the Lord. Correct. Then look at verses 32, uh, 33, and 34. It tells us there that they were to take some of the manna 
and put it before the Lord, and it also says before the testimony, and keep it for all generations, it says. It, what it's saying there is they were to take a small amount of this manna and keep it in a small pot in the tabernacle. The tabernacle is going to be this, this tent of worship that they're going to have. And the testimony were the stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments on them. And they're, they're going to get in a, another chapter or two here. So it was really before the Lord, which means it's going to be in, in, in God's presence, to keep as a, a memory. So there was a, a pot of manna that, again, miraculous food, and God would keep it fresh, and they were supposed to keep it there as a remembrance. Now, this manna before the Lord, sort of an interesting rabbit trail here, it mentions that a couple of other times in the Bible. And so, trivia question, Steve, do you remember where it mentions the manna that's in the before the Lord? Well, I know it's over in Hebrews. It mentions about the the manna that is in the ark, along with the uh, the tablets, of, uh, two tablets of stone that has the Ten Commandments on them, along with uh, the staff of the rod of Aaron that budded. I think was the way it put it. Right, right. The verse is Hebrews nine four talks about again. The book of Hebrews is writing to Jewish believers in Jesus Christ, Jewish Christians, and he's explaining in Hebrews how the Old Testament things in the Old Testament apply to Jesus Christ. And at one point in Hebrews 9.4, he's explaining about the things that, that are in the temple, in the tabernacle, and how those apply to Christ. And as he's listing off the, the utensils and the furniture that's in the, in the tabernacle, he mentions the Ark of the Covenant which is the container, the box, that has the Ten Commandments, the stone tablets that Moses is going to get up here in chapter 20. And then it talks about a golden pot of manna that was in there. And it talks about Aaron's walking stick, his staff, at one point miraculously uh, comes alive again and, and buds. And those things, at one point, God tells them to keep those things in the ark. Now, now I have a question for you. Uh, Glenn, in Hebrews it says they were in the ark, but here it says you're supposed to keep it before the uh, testimony. So it's, you don't get a picture that it's that it's inside of something; it's it's outside of something. Is there any indication that which is which? Well, I I think that that here again there, there's there's not a tabernacle yet in Exodus chapter 16 simply because it, we don't get those instructions until a few chapters down in the book. And so it can't be in the Ark of the Covenant yet because that's not given. But they do have before the Lord because the cloud was there and the glory of, Lord, the, glory of the Lord was there, the pillar of fire. And so that's really what they were doing here. And so later is further instructions in what to do with it. Now, it, it sort of begs the question, though, is how long did it stay there, right? Because there was before the Lord and what happened to these things. And so we have a little bit of a clue. Over in the book of Second Chronicles, there's a chapter in there where it's describing Solomon finished building the temple. The temple building was built in the same shape and design as the tabernacle tent, and, but just larger and more elaborate. 
and they were moving in Second Chronicles 5, they're moving all the furniture in out of the tabernacle into the building of the temple. And it describes moving the Ark of the Covenant. And in Second Chronicles 5.10, it says there was nothing in the Ark except the stone tablets. So at some point in between here, way back here in Exodus, and by the time you get to Second Chronicles 5, it's just the stone tablets. So Hebrews is then talking about what was originally there. And so that's just how that explains. I always was curious what happens if they find the ark someday, what, what's going to be what's going to be in it. But it shouldn't have any manna in it after all these years. And if it does have manna, would it still be good? Would it still be good? God <laughs> could miraculously do that if he wished. So then, next question. They get new manna every morning. What does that tell us about God's provision? It's on a daily basis he's going to provide for us. We get God's mercies are, are new every morning, it says in Lamentations 3.23. God provides enough for today. Mm-hmm. He provides enough for today, and then guess what? We're going to need him again tomorrow. Because remember, Jesus said he was the bread from heaven, right? He's the bread from heaven. So we, and, and remember in the, in the Lord's Prayer? He said, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread, because each day we need a little more Jesus. We need a little more sustenance. We need our daily bread. Just because I ate yesterday, I'm going to get hungry again tomorrow. I need a little more Jesus, a little more spiritual truth every day. Do I have to worry about tomorrow's bread? Do we I have should to worry not, about tomorrow's we bread? We should not worry about tomorrow's bread if we have trust in the Lord. If our trust and faith is in the Lord, then no, we should not worry about our daily needs. Because remember here in the story, what was it? You were supposed to gather enough for today and not keep it till tomorrow. But some of them tried to keep it for tomorrow, and the miraculous manna spoiled, got worms in it, stank. And so God there was, was telling them that trust him for today. Don't try to hoard it for tomorrow, because guess what? I'm going to be there tomorrow. And the day after that, I'll still be there, and I'll be there every day. And so the, he's trying to tell them, to, don't, don't try to hoard this, because there'll be more tomorrow. We can depend on God to give us some more tomorrow. So same thing with us, right? Can we depend on God being there tomorrow? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I absolutely do. And I've been in situations throughout my life. I've, we, my family, my wife and I, we have been in situations in our uh, earlier marriage and things like that whenever we were dead broke. We were literally living day to day, and we had to trust on God in order to make uh, make ends meet. And let me tell you, he always came through one way or another. I have several stories to be able to tell about that. And those extra, th- th- those things like that, that does build your faith. And that does build your confidence that God is there and he does care about us and he is looking out after us. So Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, quote, Do not worry about tomorrow, mm. for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that's in Matthew 6.34. And so these lessons back here on this manna, uh, we have just enough of God's grace for today, but we can depend on him being there tomorrow. 
because he is faithful. And that's the lesson back here. So, and then in verse 35, tells us how long the manna lasted. How long did the manna last? Well, the manna lasted each day, but then on the day of rest, the Sabbath, on the sixth day when they gathered it, it lasted for two days. Right. And so that tells us that, again, God's going to be, will will sustain us even through the day of rest. We don't have to work seven days a week. We can, we can take a day of rest and trust him. So, but the, then the manna continued for how many years? Well, the whole time that they went through and, and on the way to the promised land up until the time that they went into the land of Canaan. So, and if we look at verse 35 here, it tells us a clue of what we can tell some things about the book, right? Verse 35, the sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. So that tells us a couple of things. It, it tells us, one, that the, the manna lasted until the book of Joshua. And if you were with us when we studied Joshua, we, we learned that the point where Joshua crossed the Jordan River and then into the Promised Land, that's when the manna stopped. And so that's the first thing we learned. But then look at the verse again, verse 35. Sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years. What does that tell us about the book? This book of Exodus is written in past tense because it says there they did it 40 years. So it was written at least 40 years down the road. Right. Now, over in Joshua, chapter 6, verse 25, is the story of Rahab. Remember Rahab? She mm -hmm. was the harlot that hid the spies and when in Jericho when Israel was going in to take Jericho. And in Joshua 6.25, it says Rahab lives there till this day. And so that tells us that, that Exodus and then all the way up to Joshua was written within the lifetime of the people that went into the Promised Land. So here, back in 1635, it's at least 40 years down the road. And so I think we can take these clues and, and tie them together and say that the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, plus Joshua, were written within the lifetime of Rahab, which means the lifetime of the first generation that went in and conquered the land. So it would seem that Moses wrote these things because it tells us that Moses wrote it, but then it was compiled in Joshua's day as soon as they got into the Promised Land. And so that's when the book of Exodus and Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and Joshua were all compiled at the point where they entered the Promised Land at, at the end of Joshua, or in the middle of Joshua. And so with that, these, these passages here are, are, are wonderful passages. In, any other things in here, Steve, about the manna and, and how that applies? I just love the way it talks about how we, we depend on God on this daily basis and that we can trust him to have it there on the, on the seventh day. Yeah, uh, it is. And, and again, over and over again, we see God's provision that he makes for his people, and we also know that he can make the provision for us as well. It's just all about trust and faith that he's going to be there day after day after day. 
And so with that, we'll at the end of a chapter, so we'll uh, we'll tie it up there for today. And so great passage here with the manna, great thing that we can we can trust him to give us our daily bread. And so we'll be in Exodus 17 next time as we continue to reason through the Bible. Thank you for watching and listening and may God bless you.